You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Jim, welcome to Dublin South FM. Welcome to the Joe Dalton Show. How are you? Thank you very much. Yes, well, we're, we're out of studio today. We're in your beautiful home in a lovely part of the country. And I spoke to you a few times on the phone. And when I speak to you on the phone, you enlightened me. And it was one of the topics uh, which I was very intrigued about. And that's when you talk about the banking system, about the debt that people are buried in uh, with the EU, um, the decisions or the systems that need to be fixed or broken. And I said, look, let's let's do a show and let's start somewhere and see where it goes. So where would you like to start? <laughs> well, I suppose everything starts with oneself. Regardless of what else is going on, one must be some way content in what they're doing and what they're at. And if they're not content with that, it's some way happy. And I mean, I'm very clear in my mind, and I've known this for a good while, that the entire education system um, drives the inadequacy, the feeling of inadequacy, that I have to get more, I have to get another qualification, I have to do this, and uh, I don't believe in that. And as you know, we have been re-educated a little in recent times by a very fine individual, and the concept of being home safe and enough should never leave a body's head. Now, it may seem an, a, an irrelevant place to start when we want to talk about the hole in the bucket. And we'll get to the hole in the bucket now in a minute. But yeah. everything starts with oneself. And when it comes to making change, the first thing is to know where your own shoes are and what's the price of the soul. And as the touch of the master's hand in that line, it says, and the foolish crowd can never really understand the worth of a soul and the change is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. And there's an element of, of wisdom in those few lines. But to move on then to the things that I might like to radically change, um, I think I'm the only individual to have challenged in public the Central Bank Act 1942. And that's where it starts which is a contradiction of what's in the Constitution about the use of the credit of the nation. Now, there's only one source of money, and that's people. Everything else is waffle. There is no money other than people. People are the money. When you'd borrow from the bank, that's an illusion in every sense of the word. The reality is you are the lender. The bank only administers your willingness to pay them. They administer your willingness to pay them into the system and they charge you for the privilege and they take your house if you happen to fall off the roof or something. Or I'm going to just stop you there and ask you a quick question. 1942, before we go on, what was the act in 1942? The Central Bank Act. And what it did was it contradicted the article in the Constitution which said that the credit of the nation may be only used for the benefit of the people. The Central Bank Act 1942 gifted to the stockholder banks control over and the benefit of the credit of the nation. And nobody in public life has challenged that since. Now, that, that fact that has not been challenged speaks volumes for the integrity of the respective political parties that have been swanning around here and manipulating the public ever since. But... 
it went on steroids then went to the EU, the ECB. And when I set up the public banking forum in 2013, having listened to uh, Ellen Brown, the president of the Public Banking Institute, and she really turned on a few lights for me because I knew as much about banking as the, the average cat. I knew nothing and I wasn't interested. But when I heard the interview, I said to myself, you're definitely in the dark. And I started to do a little bit of homework. Now, that led me on a long, long journey. But that was where I started. And we brought the representatives of the, uh, uh, of the German Sparkinson Foundation to Ireland in 2014. Um, now, Thomas Keidel wasn't one of them per se, but he came in February of 2014. And Jorgen Engel, who was the operations manager effectively in Europe or the project manager in Europe and Nicholas Bergman who was the uh, chief executive of the Sparkerson Foundation in Bonn. Now they really educated us as to how the banking system that they operate actually works. Before we get into that let's take the audience will be asking you know what drove you to that you know, we mentioned there that 1942, there was there was a change and never has been challenged. And then up to 2014 that you brought these people in. So that period between, I'm not saying that you were born in 1942, <laughs> that, that, what was your time of awareness and what you found when you done your research to get you to that point? And then we, we can address then what happened after that point, after that as well. I was Mr. Middle of the Road. I have a degree in maths. Um, I believed all the systems that were out there. I, 40, over 40 years ago, I was with the United Nations. I believed it all. I believed in the history that we were told, which I now believe is 99% lies. I believed in the story of the Second World War, the story of the First World War. I believed what I was doing in the Lebanon was a very useful thing. I now know what I was actually doing. But um, out of my little bit, my initial research, I bought a book, and I don't read books as a general rule. I could count them on two hands, the ones I've read in my lifetime. But I bought a book by G. Edward Griffith, and that was an eye-opener. It was about the creature of Jekyll Island. But in the book, now leaving out the, what happened with the American Fed in 2013, leave that aside now for a minute, but he gives in the book a quotation from Churchill to Truman in 1946, and that was my real kicker. That can't be until I figured out how it was. And what Churchill told Truman was, we could have prevented the war without ever firing a bullet. I couldn't understand that. I mean, sure, didn't Hitler start a war? Hitler wanted to take over the world and whatever else, and... One thing and another, that was what I believed. But I never had heard of, for example, the Haldemar or the two Haldemars in Ukraine. Never heard of them. I never heard of the fact that there were possibly, well, somewhere between 60 and 100 million killed under the Russian communist regime in the 20th century. What's your, why would you know? Why would you want to know that? I never knew anything about that. And I gradually began to see what and what. And then the penny dropped with me in very recent times as to why, in fact, the Second World War was fought. And the Second World War was prescribed in the 1880s. 
and the second big war would be fought to destroy Germany and to establish Israel. Now, when I that penny finally dropped, I fully realised who Churchill was and the level of, I suppose, the only way I can actually express it is evil agenda that functions across the world pretty much throughout history. And it's the same entities, whoever you want to call them, who have been running that the game of life for the average two-legged beast, as they, as some people call us, they guy him. And we're here to be fattened and profited from in the minds of certain entities. And when the public out there figure out who those entities are, then you have the power to make the real change. Now, the reason the Second World War was fought was because Germany wouldn't comply with the Rothschild banking system. The very same reason as the American War of Independence was fought, because the American states, the individual states, had figured out the money system. But the city of London realised that if they went and became independent, then they couldn't milk the Americas. So thus the War of Independence. A whole scam for to get control over the money system. They did the very same with Germany. They did the same, same very same with Gaddafi. Took him out. And, I mean, if Gaddafi was the problem in this day and age, surely, surely it was possible to bring him before uh, The Hague or some form of tr- international jury or whatever else and convince them. But they drove Libya into the Dark Ages in order to kill Gaddafi who was the Maryad, the guy, bad guy. Now, there is another agenda there, but Gaddafi had a simple plan and he understood the money game and he would have taken Africa out from under the control of the BIS and out of debt from the City of London banks. Yeah, I I read somewhere that he was going to, he was meeting with all the other nations in that area to create their own currency for the for the oil the gold in, yeah instead of the um using the dollar and that frightened america and, right. yeah and it was i mean again i at this stage i believe that the lockerbie bomb was a cia project no more than the twin towers i mean imagine you I, I, that's just mind-blowing cardiology that people think still that a guy sitting in it, the back end of a cave in Iraq, could get two guys to hijack two planes, train them how to work, and be able to fly them with that level of accuracy into the Twin Towers. I mean, a 10-year-old wouldn't buy that story. When you look at it and examine it, and, I mean, to bring down 47,000 tonne of steel in 11 seconds in its own footprint, I mean, that's explosive technology at its best. And whether it was termite or what they used, I don't know, but termite would deliver that product because it it, it, uh, it burns at 4,700 degrees. Steel melts at 2,700. So that would work. It'd be like yeah. putting a hot knife through butter. Just And then they tell us, like if you were anyone who knows a pilot, ask them how would you do what was done? Ask them how would you possibly steer a plane into the Pentagon the way it was supposedly done? There was no plane in the Pentagon. Just another illusion. So... I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, 
believe in in it or don't believe in it and i think more and more people are questioning that what happened in new york on it but i want to just pull us back here um to the 40 percent hole in the 40 percent hole in the bucket and ireland and you know the you mentioned there that you know money is an illusion it's people are you know the true currency of a country so let's let's go from there right People, on, most people imagine that when they go to the bank, the bank is going to lend them a hundred quid or a hundred thousand or a million quid or whatever else. The bank isn't allowed to lend money. The bank only administers your willingness to pay them. So when you sign your application form, it gets stamped and it becomes a promissory note. In the words of old Denning, Lord Denning, and I hate calling anyone Lord Denning, but that's what he calls himself, or some people call him. Um, a promissory note must be treated as cash. So effectively, the public are giving their cash to the bank for them to administer it into the system. Now, I don't blame the average person behind the bank counter. They haven't a clue. And the average bank manager doesn't know. But there are people who know. And we brought uh, Professor Richard Werner to Dublin and he does an interview there. It's there on YouTube and it is possibly the most important presentation on matters finance and banking that was ever done in this state. There's no professor, lecturer or whatever in Ireland that has ever come within an ass's roar of it. And anyone can find it there on YouTube. It was done in the Ashling Hotel in April of 2016. It's an hour and 22 minutes of a university education in how the banks function. Now, please, if you do nothing else, Listeners, find and listen to that video. I was responsible for bringing him here along with a couple of others. I rang him and I asked him, I arranged the date and whatever else. And I knew a lot of what he had had to say. But I've watched that video several times. And everybody, everybody over 15 should be made or asked to watch that. And I can tell you, it's way better than Netflix. Now, to bring that forward into day-to-day language... People talk about gold, and it has a relevance. But the island of Ireland, the waters around it, the fish, the land, the potential of the land to grow things and everything else, this country is phenomenally wealthy. But forever, that wealth is being extracted, like in the same way the banks have been milking Africa forever and ever and ever. And we are now witnessing the Africanization of Europe uh, in a whole series of different ways. Firstly, through the debt system, and secondly, through the replacement of uh, population as per the Barcelona Agreement 2008. And the two things are very important here. The crash that happened in 2008 was effectively announced in the trading room in Leeson Street in 1999. Now, I hope you people hear that. 1999, it was announced in the trading room in Leeson Street for those who had ears to hear. Now, if you didn't know what was said, but it was in, spoken in English, you had to understand what was said. And it, was, it wasn't so much that it was coded, but it was said. And effectively, the stock exchange had, or the, had told Irish banks that they were on the brink. Now, they spent nine years setting up the public and they drove bank shares from about 15, whatever it was at the time, to about 25 euro. And then they blew it up. That was all totally orchestrated with the complicity of the ECB, 
the central bank, the audit firms, and we don't know exactly where the politicians were in this because I think they hadn't a clue anyhow. It's interesting that you say that because in my research, I've realised that Ireland is far wealthier than we actually perceive it to be. And that's because of the brainwashing that we have, that we've been given, that our Irish seas, uh, our land um, is is massive. We're probably the wealthiest country in Europe. But for you know the education of her being kept in to be the poor man for 800 years, for being the poor man of Europe, we've yeah. always still, we've led to believe cap in hand. And one of the things which I found quite, you know, people go, ah, Europe is great. We've built this wall and they've built this road. And when you look into it, per herd of population, we owe more money to the EU, but we're the wealthiest country as well, which I, I, I can't understand. Well, you see, again, here, here's a very, a very significant point. Who is the money owed to? That's a real big question now. And I mean, well, then you're looking at everything is under, you know, John and Bradstraw, Bradstreet is, you know, everything is a corporation. Yes. And then if you look at everything as a sovereign land, there is a difference that the sovereign land, like if you want to really jump back to the 1919 constitution, where it, it was changed then a couple of times to 1937, mm. that it was we, the people, are sovereign on everything, but the corporation is running it. This fictitious corporation is running everything, uh, so we can so we can profit off everybody. Am I well, correct in that? Error? You you are to a point. I mean, um, and there are all sorts of illusions uh, as to what is real and what's fixable and what's better and what's not. Um, I mean, Article sixty five of the Government of Ireland Act nineteen twenty is a very significant article in one context. Uh, as to who's actually running Ireland. But let's get back to the hole in the bucket. The fact of the matter is that the crash was announced in 1999 and this was all um, the presentation done to the Doyle Finance Committee in May of 2019, just after the elections, by the way, that didn't come out beforehand, but it came out after the elections that Tim Bush and Cormac Butler did an hour and a half long presentation as to how the Irish banks have been insolvent since 2005 and probably since 2002. Now, effectively, that means that all bank business since 2005 is fraud. Full stop. Now, if anybody out there listening has a shop or a small business or whatever else and revenue declared them to be insolvent, they'll be shut down within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But the banks continue. And all bank business since 2005 has been fraud. And the entire system has backed that up. The ECB, the central bank, the politicos who haven't the faintest idea. And when Noonan introduced the ICAV legislation, I personally believe he should have been jailed for what he did. What year was that? 2015, February 2015. I might have the month wrong, but I think I'm right. Um, and what was that? It's a, effectively, it was the red carpet for the vultures. It's a 350-page document. I didn't read a lot of it, but I read enough of it. And what Noonan said in the Doyle, and again, I am baffled. I am unaware of anybody in the public life who actually challenged Noonan for what he said. It was sh nothing short of treason. And what he said was this. 
We had neither hand act or part in drafting this legislation. It was done in the central bank. We just went down and collected it. And he rammed it through the doll. No bother. And no questions asked. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM. Crossing the Rubicon. No. The fact of the matter is that the public banking forum presented to a few key people, or what we thought would have been key people, uh, in 2017, what we would consider a master plan to have resolved the entire housing problem in Ireland from the point of view of debt. And it wasn't even read by the people that are, are acknowledged by the people who got it. And it still stands as the only valid exercise in resolving the debt situation which today leaves 50,000 people waiting for judgment in our corrupted courts to say you're going to stay in your house or you're not going to stay in your house or some vulture has it or whatever else and there are still 50,000. Now on top of that we have shed a generation to emigration and that's not supposed to matter either and The way I'd add it up at this stage now is this, that membership of the EU has cost the Irish people anything north of one and a half trillion and is probably closer to two and a half trillion. On top of that, Ireland's external debts today are approximately two and a half trillion. The last time I saw it was 2.35 trillion. So whether it's 2.36 or 2.38 or 2.55, I don't know nor care. And where are you getting those figures They're from? there. They're all published. Okay. Hmm. They're there for anyone to go look at them. Where would they be? If they well, I'll get them for you if you really want them. But, I mean, but if someone wanted to go online and listen to this and they wanted it, would it be in... The it's there. Yeah. It's there. And, I mean, I published an article on the platform last September uh, about the leprechauns in the books, and that is, as far as I'm concerned, mandatory reading for anyone that thinks they're half awake in terms of knowing the finances of what's going on. I meant to reread it now, but I have most of it in my head. I mean, today we have people trying to buy houses and it's a joke because the banks are insolvent and in order to sort of create some form of illusion that they can function, the house prices have to be maintained at three, four and five times what they're actually worth. Now, the average salary in the state is about Mm 40,000. Strictly speaking, that borrows 120000 to buy a house. Now, where do you get that? Well, that's why the vulture funds have come in and buying everything up at a special rate and then renting them all back to everybody. Yes, because 40% of everything you buy goes to the financial industry, and that's the average figure. But in the rental property market, it's 80%. That's the, the, the ultimate cash cow for the financial industry is the rental property market. And the rental property market or the property market in whole, let's pick Dublin, mm. 95% of that now is foreign investment. And a lot of that then is coming out of China as well. Of course. But I mean, this again is the absolute prostitution of the Irish people by our so-called elected representatives who are agents of all forms of international agencies, including the United Nations, through Agenda 21. Mm-hmm. And you cannot have a, dis- a proper discussion in Ireland about Agenda 21. When I stood in the European elections, we wrote to all of the candidates, asking them to declare their position with regard to Agenda 21. We got four replies. 
Now, the fact of the matter is that Ireland, amongst 172 other countries, signed up to that in 1992. And yet, you cannot discuss Agenda 21. Dare I say, if you asked 150 TDs to explain the essence of Agenda 21, they'd say, what's that? United Nations, I have discovered, is one of, is possibly the most corrupted organization that ever was. And hands up, I worked with them for six months in the Lebanon. And with due respect to all of the good people who worked with the United Nations over the years, they didn't, they don't know what I didn't know 40 odd years ago. I know now. We've done a couple of shows on the United Nations from people who basically know that it was set up from the banking and going into countries where peacekeeping, but actually slicing the country up and taking its wealth. Well, yeah. you, create the ma- you create the mayhem and then you bring in the UN to fix the problem. Yeah, but it's not. It's it's just taking the goods and throwing them in the back of the Well, let's keep going back to the hole in the bucket. The system is such, the Germans figured this out 250 years ago. And when Nicholas Bergman was asked, why did he come to Ireland to talk to a bunch of guys that didn't necessarily represent much in the, you know and he said for two reasons one we are very proud of the system and this is a guy now who had a 1.1 trillion loan book and a 1.1 trillion deposit book now that's what i call solvency you with me yeah. there's no illusions here or whatever 1.1 versus 1.1 he said well i come here for two reasons firstly we have a system that we're very proud of and we're delighted to share with anybody and everybody Second reason is we need your support in Brussels because Brussels hates our guts. That's a quotation. You have to understand that in the context of Germany, which at one level is the the strongest economy in the world. But at another level, everybody's still blaming them because they're the bad Germans. When you realize what the Second World War was, and realize how the banking system was what the Second World War was about, then you realize how our hole in the bucket is bleeding 40% of everything you buy. It doesn't matter what it is. That goes to feed the bear. Yeah. Now, what the Germans figured out was they fill the hole in the bucket, and the commercial banks in Germany only have about 12.5% of the market. The public own the rest. So if you take off 12.5% of the bleed, that is, say, 40%, the public are recycling the, the rest of it. That's the 28%. Now, the difference is simply phenomenal. There is plenty of room for the commercial banks. There's plenty, plenty of room there for them to do serious work. And I'm not here to castigate individuals who are working in the banking system. The average per individual working in the banks has the same clue as I had when I was in the Lebanon 42 years ago. And I'm asking people, if you want to know and you want change and you want to fill the hole in the bucket, listen to Richard Werner. And when the public banking form and the platform issue a programme in the very near future as to how to launch the network of public banks in Ireland, I'm asking you to buy it and but it's for you. It's not for me. It won't make much odds to me individually. 
but it will make a phenomenal difference to the future. And let's go back a bit here now. Yeah, because we'll we'll speak of that towards the end. That's the solution. But let's go. Let's. Well, just go back a second here now. The hole in the bucket. When the crash happened in 2008. Now, acknowledging all of the codology that went on before that, had they taken the 20 billion that they gave to the banks from the pension fund and created a new bank with that as its reserve, they could have bought out every loan in Ireland in the household sector. They would have totally solved the problem because the vultures bought the properties at about an average of 17 cent in the euro. There would have been ample new credit there. Now, here is at the core of what happened. The vultures were able to access whatever they wanted. Tsunami. And others and whatever. And they were able to buy the properties from the banks at 17 cent. But the public who had built the houses and whatever else and owned them, they couldn't do that. Why? Because they had no access to credit. They were deemed to be in bad bills, bad people, that they couldn't have money and you couldn't give them credit. But had the problem been acknowledged for what it was, it would have been a very simple exercise to offer the public the opportunity on their own bat without the state getting involved, other than to give uh, Joe Soap and Kitty Barr the opportunity to say, I'm in trouble here with this crowd and I can't pay that mortgage. Go down to your new bank and revalue the property at a realistic value, take out a new loan, and tell Mr. Bank, there you are now, bye-bye, and give them their 17 cent in the dollar that the vultures were giving them. Now, then that whole process of the vultures is so unlawful and even illegal, and I hope people understand the difference, but based on contract law, no member of the public has a contract with a vulture fund. And if you know how to tell them to get out of your life before they get into it, then you have no problem. Don't deal with them. But you have to know how to not deal with them. It's not a question of sort of ignoring them. Um, There are ways of doing it and language is important. But do not create the contract with the vulture. But again, the public weren't told that. The vulture funds were facilitated. They're still being facilitated. At the moment, there's, a, there's at least $35 billion that we can account for between the credit unions and the post offices. That money properly leveraged would fix so many problems in this country overnight. And yet, we are allowing the vultures in to do what they like. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond criminal that there are, the public have... 21 billion was the last figure I heard in the post offices. And the credit unions believe that have a, they have about 10, 12 billion of excess uh, deposits. If you looked at this going back to the 13th and 14th century, it would be rape and pillage. It's Anything just, else you want to throw at it? Yeah, and it's this is just, in modern day, this is what it is. Well, that's the essence of it. But, I mean, the stupidity of it, and that's where the Germans figured this out 250 years ago. And use what you have for your own benefit. And, I mean, what happened with the post offices over the last few years is another revelation as to the absolute manipulation of the public by either innocent or totally complicit politicians. Now, and I say that deliberately, 
Either they haven't a body clue what they're doing or they're totally complicit. There is no middle ground here. And I said that before the Doyle Finance Committee back in 2017. There is no middle ground. The key people in the system are either so stupid that they don't know what's going on or else they know exactly what's going on and they're feeding the bear. I mean, that leads me, I want to try and put words on this. We'll go back to the 40% hole in the bucket. Through a proper network of public banks, funding productive enterprise as opposed to funding property booms and cardiology and speculation and whatever else, including securitization. A proper public banking model would save 70 to 80% of the bleed overnight. And that would be back in the hands of the public. Now, there is another issue in that uh, matter of the credit of the nation. And there needs to be a serious awakening across the public to demand with clarity that the credit of the nation may only be used for productive purposes. That's a mandatory. And I'm asking you out there, whoever happens to be listening to, understand that. There are simple mechanisms. And I have asked somebody to actually do a paper on the productive economy in Ireland, which it varies a little bit. But that brings me on to the Financial Services Centre and the the scam that that is and what foreign direct investment is. And I'd ask people to read the article that I published in the on the platform under, I think, something on... We'll, the we'll put the link up on that anyway. So the leprechauns in the books. Yeah. Because I, I just throw two figures at you. In 2018, Ireland's GDP was published at 300 billion, but the gross national income was only 168 billion. So what was the other 132 billion that contributed nothing to the gross national income? Now, add to that, this is all about foreign direct investment and what is going on in the Financial Services Centre and the FVCs and the SPVs and this is the securitisation and the derivatives. That's all a pure and utter scam that we are funding. And the only thing that it's helping to do is drive up the false prices of property in Ireland. That's all. It serves no other purpose. Again, I go back to the the professor. Um, Professor Werner, along with a a Spanish economist, did a survey and an analysis of foreign direct investment into the Spanish economy. And this was published in early 2018. And the conclusion was as follows. Verbatim, and I quote, foreign direct investment in the Spanish economy contributed nothing to the GDP. Now, the question is, when you balance up the books in Ireland between the two generations that have emigrated since we joined the EU, the wealth theft from the public vis-a-vis the property crash at somewhere north of $500 billion, and the theft from the public or the giving away, whatever way you want to put it, of the fishing resources estimated at somewhere north of 620 billion. Forestry. Forestry, you name it, water. And the only thing that was blocked was the sale of all Irish water systems at 11 billion, courtesy of the water protests. That was blocked so far. Yeah. But it's still said that there's a, an, 
I'd say it's waiting there in the pipeline, and I mean, I won't even go into that. Um, but a proper network of banks serving the public, serving the productive economy, would turn this country inside out in the space of 12 months. And the platform or the, the, the basis for the economy going forward would, and the basis for society and for life and for living would be so radically changed. Okay. If there was that solution, I'm sure that there would be institutions that would block that heavily. Of course. And the reason as well, if you look at what's going on in the country at the moment and you look at the majority of people are being paid by the state. Too many. Okay, yes. Hands up. Okay, and there is, you know, the other institutes then is the banking, the multinationals and the pharmaceuticals. Mm. They're the biggest income players. So everyone is kind of going, okay, I'm listening to you, Jim. But people also will go, I'm all right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking after my family. I'm paying me bills and everything. Society has been destroyed. Irish society has been destroyed. Yes. And, I mean, you can start anywhere you like. Uh, within 25 or 30 years, Ireland will be a phenomenally different country. It will be green no longer and... I, I just cannot, I don't even want to put in words what I know is coming down the tracks with in the absence of radical, radical rethink. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. If people don't realise and give themselves a shake, as in people are going to wake up in the nightmare. Well, they're in the nightmare. They're in the nightmare. nightmare. I mean, young couples today can't afford to have a child and they can't afford to have a house. And if you have one, you certainly can't have the other with with few exceptions. Yeah, it's, you know, there's there's a book, which I, a guy that I interviewed, Neil Donald Walsh, and he he wrote a book, then, Awaking of the Species. And it basically as well is saying in it that, you know, he wrote conversation with God and everything as well. But he, in in the book, it's basically that people are, you know, if people don't act now, they're going to be screaming later on. They're going to, they've woken up in the nightmare and more and more people, we can call it the awakening or we can call it awakening within or whatever you want to call it. But more and more people haven't come to this personal realization. But as a collective, have we gone beyond the point that we can't fix it, which I never believe? I always think there's a solution. Or is there going to get to a point where we're owned externally without any tanks rolling in on us and we're done and our children's children are screwed? Well, are we at that point now? Because the country is broke. The country was broke in 2008. There's been there's new legislation being passed. We're we're no longer run, but you know a lot of people believe we're no longer run by our government, but by EU or greater forces. What what point? It, you know, you're a military man. You've you know you've political insights as well. Where are we? What point are we at in this pendulum? Well, I saw today that the current chief of staff of the defence forces is about to resign. I sent him a letter three weeks ago and he didn't reply to me. And I put it up to him that if he wants to avoid the charge of treason, 
He needs to do something to stand up in his shoes. And I've been conscious of this for a long time, and I, I balked at how to actually put it in writing. And three or four weeks ago, I sent him a, a, a significant letter. And I've also told his staff that I'm going to go public on this. Now, the essence of it is that people ask, should ask themselves the question, who is ultimately responsible for their defence and for the defence of their property? Is it a minister or is it the defence forces? Now, what are they there for? There's a fundamental question. I am a retired senior army officer. I have a summing cling as to how this works. When Lieutenant General Michael Brennan in 1932 was confronted with his field enemy in De Valera against whom he had fought in the Civil War, he was confronted with a problem as chief of staff and he made a very serious statement which was phenomenally important for the better of the public. And he said, we either support the elected representatives or we go back to civil war. Now, many years. That was 1932. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact of the matter is that the officer corps of the defence forces have prided themselves in that loyalty ever since. The problem with that is that the loyalty has been taken for granted and it has been abused. And on the other side of the coin, the military leaders have been sucked into that sort of legal uh, framework and sort of say, what's the legal situation here? When in actual fact, the, the, the leaders need to stand up because what we're witnessing at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, is a form of genocide. On the Irish people, no, that's my well. No, well, I, I think it's there's a, there is a, a, a form of treason. I think that there is a there's a dictatorship in. The, people believe there's a dictatorship in, and it's not. You know, we we have always said you know enemies, foreign and domestic, and domestic is what's happening, and you know I will talk to people and they will ask me, the Irish Army, the Defence Force are there to protect the people against state or foreign. And why are they allowing this to happen and letting the corporation get away with it? And there is the biggest... You're absolutely spot on. And, I mean, the fact is that the... And that's the point I was trying to make, that the, I don't underestimate the, the challenge that faces those uh, brigade commanders and the chief of staff. I don't underestimate that responsibility or the challenge that it is. Because on one hand, they have been very proudly loyal to the state. But on the other hand, to call that out requires the support of the public. And it requires phenomenal leadership to be able to stand up and effectively call a civil war against the people who are being manipulated or whatever way you want to present it by all forms of entities, including the central bank, including the ECB, including the United Nations, which so many members of the Defence Forces have proudly served, not knowing what they're at. But I've always wondered that there is an intelligence you know, department in all military, in all countries, 
who observe everything that's going on in their own country for check and balance to see that you would imagine i would i would this is what i would think you know and they would be always looking to see what's going on and if it's not right then they would act like um what country is it that the military went in and they said it was a coup i've lost now there last year that they realized that the elections were fraud and they the military went in because they could see it but what i'm trying to get at is that i always believed that there was some watchers within every country who was watching to see in case a government or a political system went against the people and those people in there so i and what i'm getting at i know in my deepest heart i know there's people in the military know this is going on well again as i said the 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 challenge is for people to for the key people within the system to be able to clearly know the boundaries and it's not a simple scenario i'm not suggesting it's simple but I'm, I'm suggesting that they have a significant responsibility and they mightn't have to take out guns, but they might be able to lay down a marker. And it, it may be as simple as saying, there's a red line now, Minister. The public have to be defended. That's what our job is. Simple as. You don't do that. I mean, this programme to vaccinate children, as far as I'm concerned, is criminal. It is beyond criminal. Like whatever about, and I mean, adults make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah we understand but that. Vaccinating children, Maria, giving them this toxic junk that's not a vaccine, it's not sanctioned as a vaccine. It's a gene therapy, and with a prospect of leaving 60% infertile, that's on top of what we already have. And nobody asking any questions other than, oh, big girl, we have to have them wear the masks in the school and we do this and whatever. I am challenging the chief of staff and the brigade commanders to step up to the plate and defend the people. Now, I'm not saying that they have to know everything, but there must be some capacity within the forces to see a red light when it's flashing. And if they can't see the red light, well, then they should vacate their positions, full stop. But that's it. You know, you, you being a retired officer, and I'm sure there's officers who are of the same mindset of you still in the forces. Which mindset now? The one that I had when I was in it or the one that I have now? <laughs> the, the one that you have now. The one that you have now. Well, I, I won't comment because I'm not in touch with you. Yeah, but, I, but that's what I, I... Because the one thing that I know we're drifting off into the, 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 the forces, but I do know that the forces are being devastated and i know that they're being ripped apart and you know yes. it, you know the i have an inkling that the policy the plan is to amalgamate the defense forces with the guards i believe so i believe that that's yeah. the policy and that's why the guards are being run down and the present chief of staff i don't know he there's plenty of people who think other things i don't know anything and never yeah, but, but, but what what's happening there is be and like people, you're not the first that have said this to me because they believe when it's run down and they create this new force, this will not be like a guard under oath. It'll be a new oath, and Correct. it'll be more of a policy. It'll be more of a policy officer Correct. than a than a guard of Yeah, but you see, this all goes back to the debt problem. But it is, and they're all talking about oh, we have to do this now to be more efficient. But this is what I'm getting at: that everything that we spoke about 
is all to do what we started this program about is money. Money, money, wealth and greed is all. That's all this. If you strip everything down and you have to define the entity of what this is all about and it's greed, money and greed. Well, there's an evil element involved as well. There there is an element of evil that operates and is willing to um, extract anything and everything from the general public with no regard whatever. And I mean, uh, in terms of law and the legal world, there's a very simple rule of thumb which would fix so much overnight, harm no one or their property. And if everybody simply grasp that concept everything would be so simple now the other thing I, I wanted to sort of draw this back to and one of the reasons why nothing changes in this country I started out uh, with the public banking form thinking that there were good politicians who if we went and talked to them that they'd listen to you and they'd pick up on something and they'd run with it and whatever else I can tell you my my innocence was uh, shattered fairly quickly and not just once but about 10 times and I am very clear in my mind that a new system has to be invented whereby the public in general has access to the decision making processes at the moment the whip system manages the political parties we fund the political parties to canvass us to vote for them And then they use the whip to make the decisions that are handed to them by outside interests. And whether those interests are banking interests, uh, interests or UN or whatever else, those, it's like the ICAV legislation defines it. Nonan was the puppet for the central bank to allow the vultures to do what they liked when in actual fact we had about 40 billion of good savings in Ireland that would have leveraged the country out of debt and we could have walked away and we wouldn't have exported a generation. And I can't put, I don't, like you can put a price on that, on those people because um, in somewhere out there in the ether, and I was told this when I was going to school by Bill Ryan, God be good to him, um, I remember him telling us this and I, I didn't know the value of what he said but this back 19 maybe 66 and he said that there's an economic value on everybody's head what I didn't know then was that that's effectively the trust fund that is built around every individual's registration cert and is traded on the stock exchange which that's no problem the banks have access to it maybe what, 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 why would that be? Now The point is that we need to create mechanisms and these mechanisms were already in operation in Ireland 50 and 60 and 80 years ago. Now, I don't know where the GA is at at the moment because I'm sort of out of it, Uh, but I grew up pretty much in it and I was in it for 50 years practically. We're doing a show on the GAA fairly shortly. No, but Desi Farrell effectively hijacked the GAA and he should have been nailed for it because what he did was it undid what was the most democratic organisation in the world and he split the players from the organisation and he shouldn't have been allowed to do that. 
And the point is this, and I know this from personal experience, because I got two motions as far as Congress, and all I had to do was take out the rule book, read the rule book, it tells you how to do it, write the motion, put it into the system, and if you're able to sell it, it goes through. Simple as. Now, there is absolutely zero equivalence in the socio-political world. If every man, woman and child in County Galway wanted to um, grow 10 oak trees in Chum, there is no mechanism whereby they can actually make that proposal because it has to go through a political party and it has to go through the whip and the chances are somebody has to get a round envelope before it'll get planted. Whereas the GAA proffered to every member the same authority to make change. The very same. All you had to do was read the rule book that was there for everybody. You didn't need to consult with a solicitor. It was written in black and white, do this, this and this. Job done. Put it into the system. And I know because I put a motion to my own county board in 1975, which went through and the proof of it is still there. And I put a a motion to Congress in... 1989. Now, that was a big motion. It failed, partly out of my own innocence on the day, but other issues as well. But some of the issues raised in the motion were brought into effect a couple of years later. Now, the point is that regardless of the content of the motion, it's the fact that I could actually put it into the system. And we can't do that in the socio-political world. There's nobody, no institution in the state you have to have know somebody, you have to be through the scene, you have to have your contacts and you have to be able to outwit the whip when it gets to the dial and even the like being in the dial is as irrelevant as the colour of a rat's tail. Jim, we've about five minutes left. What would you say to people or what, what's the one thing that you want to, people to do or what can people do if they if they had a pen and a paper today what would what would you want to ask them to do to make that change? Well, the first thing I would say is I go back to the that uh, poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand, and the last two lines. And I'd ask people to examine their own conscience and their own essence and see where they stand in the last two lines of the poem, which went as follows. And the... F- uh, the thoughtless crowd could scarcely understand the work of a soul and the change that's brought by the touch of the master's hand. Yeah. Now, it's the work of the soul. What are you worth? What do you stand for? That's the first thing. And that has a whole series of ramifications. Like, Technically now for the last 18, 20 months, we haven't got the right to breed. People have given up the right to breed for a process of wearing masks that has neither science, reason nor sense to back it. Now, I put it here and a simple question. If you were going under operation and a doctor came in with a Mickey Mouse vest, uh, mask on him, you'd say, well, no, I don't think that's good enough. There'd be a lot more to it than that. Now, leave that aside, because I do believe that's the universal issue. People have to figure out who they are for themselves. Individual, personal responsibility. That's the first thing. And take the responsibility. And I mean, 
I'll take responsibility for what I'm saying here. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to examine it, scrutinise it, and prove me wrong, if you're able. And I'd be, I'd be happy if you're able to prove me wrong, because I'm nearly 70 years, of, I'm 69 years of age now, and I'm, I've spent the last 10 years trying to fathom out what's going on. And I didn't even start yet in, te- in terms of some of the stuff that has dawned on me over the last number of years. As to the things that I believe have to change, one, access to the decision-making processes, if people can f- just get their heads around that. Winter Natira and the GA had this model forever. It was there, it was functioning, and it worked. The banking system has to be nailed. And in the short term, I do believe that the Defence Forces leaders need to step up to the plate and defend the people and, above all, defend the children of the nation. And whatever way they decide to do that is their business, but they're not doing it at the moment. And they're lying down and they're taking it. And worse still, they're even participating in the genocide. That's the way I call it. Jim, we'll have you on again. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, Tasolam Gur, once you've rode Agus Tashatawak the Dum, Gudigup Dini, Gwilnyark Welgakum, Agus Gwil Baum, Dun Welgagaskak, a winnerless. Lily. And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders, and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit, and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership and creative culture. You want to reach out to me? It's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself.